Welcome to Far and Beyond Oregon True Crime, where we explore strange, bizarre, and crazy true crime stories from Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Stacy, And I'm your co-host, Valerie. Let's get started. I just smushed an ant. You smushed? Every time I get... I have a package of Oreos in the studio, and every time that I get it out, I don't see any ants around, but then when I put it away, I see an ant. So I'm kind of suspicious that there's some ants on the Oreos, but I'm eating them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) God, I didn't know that. (laughs) Why have you been eating them? Did you take? No, I have not for that specific reason because I know (laughs) the area I live in is a ginormous ant hill. (laughs) It's always been every house I've lived in in the city, every single one. I have ant problems all year round, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because they come out. After I clean, like, my counter's going to be covered and stuff. No ants anywhere. I clean, and, like, three days later, I have ants everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? There's no food out now. You like your cleaner stuff. <laughs> I, I guess that's that's what Brian tells me, that, that my cleaner is too sweet, and they like the smell of it. I'm like, obviously. I use Miss Myers. I love Miss Myers. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, I think if you were eating the ants, you would taste it because they have that distinct I don't taste anything so, so hopefully you're not yeah, I, I inspect each Oreo before I eat it <laughs> uh, I'm very concerned for you right now <laughs> fine uh, you know how many ants are like in peanut butter and stuff like I don't want to think about that no. <laughs> but I figure it's fine <laughs> well and I've been told by someone who used to work at like one of those packaging plants where they make like the meat sticks, they're mm-hmm. allowed to have so many bugs in yeah, the stuff. They are. It's like, uh, but I still eat them. <laughs> knowing this and knowing that all that stuff is in there, I still, because they still taste good. I mean, well, I haven't died yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, are you good? Yeah. Okay. So, today's story takes place in Portland. We're going to be a little closer. Close by. There's a lot of Portland ones so far. There are. Well, it's Portland. Yeah. (laughs) We're just going to leave it at that. It's Portland. Mm -hmm. It is one of our bigger cities, so of course, kind of a little higher. Um, And, yeah, so this one takes place in, like, the 1960s. Okay. So it's a little bit older, but it's still modern. Mm Mm-hmm. We're not going all the way back west again. (laughs) (laughs) Not all stories have a happy ending. And for one Portland couple in the 1960s, their story came to an abrupt and very unhappy end. This is the story of Larry Payton and Beverly Ann Allen. So Larry Payton, at the time of our story, was a 19-year-old Portland State College student. He was on the swim team in high school and he was a sea scout. Do you know what a sea scout is? No. So it's basically a boy scout on a boat. <laughs> what do they do? Like boating and stuff. They're fishing? They, they, yeah, they learn how to navigate by the, on the ocean. They do knots. They do fishing. All of that kind of stuff. And the reason I know he was a sea scout was because when he was 17, he was actually out on a boat as a sea scout. And the boat capsized or tipped over on mm-hmm. the Columbia River. And he was one of the people that got that survived um only one boy drowned on that trip but mm-hmm. so it's very tragic yeah and that was about two years before our story takes place so 
he'd already experienced some tragedy because I'm sure because I know like my Girl Scout troop they're very close if something happened to one of them they'd all be devastated mm-hmm. but I have a picture for you of Larry his glasses he does have glasses <laughs> he does look kind of nerdy but he's mm-hmm. cute nerdy Larry had two brothers and one sister and his father was actually a partner in the Crater Lake National Park Company and that means that he actually owned and operated the lodges at Crater Lake. <clears throat> I haven't been to the lodges down there. I went down there a long time ago, and I just I've just seen the crater itself. I haven't seen lodges and stuff like that. And I think next time I want to stay in the lodges because <laughs> you know you have the view of everything, and it is absolutely gorgeous there on the right day. the The water is like the bluest thing you've ever seen, and it's just. It's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a must-see. We actually went there um, last summer when all the fires were happening, and we were really worried that we wouldn't be able to see anything, because as we're driving up, it's just nothing but smoke everywhere. But then it's kind of like you go through a cloud bank, you go through the smoke bank, and it was just crystal clear above it. It's beautiful. <clears throat> uh, the summer of 1959, he met a girl named Beverly Ann Allen, she was actually from Townsend, Washington, and she was working at the lodge selling souvenirs. And in 1960, she was a sophomore at Washington State University, and she was majoring in home economics. I don't know why, but I have a problem with that. So <laughs> like, it didn't even tell me what he was majoring in, but she's in home economics. <clears throat> what is that? What does that even do? Um... Basically learning how to run your house. Sounds like managing it's, it's the money of your own house. Yeah, it's home ec. Baking, cooking, cleaning, she sewing. She majored in this in college? Yes, she majored in this in college. I don't know. I, it was a different time. I know this, <laughs> but it just, it rose me the wrong way. Sounds a lot easier than college right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I took home ec. It's called running my own house. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Larry was living with his parents, and Thanksgiving of 1960, Beverly came down to Portland to visit them and have dinner. So on November 26th, they all had dinner, and they left the Peyton house, Beverly and and Larry, at 9 p.m. And this would be the last time that Larry's parents would see him alive. By Sunday morning, um, Larry had not returned home yet. They hadn't seen him or Beverly. So his parents went out and they fired, filed a missing persons report because it was very out of character for him not to be home. Mm-hmm. I saw that picture of Beverly. She looks really cute. Oh, yes. I do have a picture of Beverly. She was very, very cute. Mm-hmm. Very, um, the hair was very much style very of the trendy. 60s. Yes, yeah. very trendy. <laughs> Big, beautiful smile. Mm-hmm. Tell she was a happy girl. So, Sunday morning, his parents filed the missing persons report, and that evening, around 9.30 p.m., two police officers came upon a car, it was either 1946 or 1949, um, at a popular, popular Lover's Lane Overlook. I didn't know where this is, because I didn't know we still had overlooks. <laughs> I mean, we did back then, I guess, but, um, it's somewhere near the Forest Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they saw this car there and they went and looked in the windows and they found a horrifying scene. 
Well, actually, do you have a picture of the inside of the car? You can't see much. It's just basically covered up because, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know why they let the newspapers take pictures of it. When they looked in, they saw a horrifying scene. A young man was slumped over the driver's seat and covered in blood. The male was identified as Larry Payton. He had been stabbed 14 times on the right side of his chest and nine times in the back. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a total of 23 times. Seems overkill. A little excessive. Uh Yeah. Uh, The rest of the car showed signs of a struggle. Larry was wearing mud smeared jeans, a t-shirt, and his shoes were on the floor of the car. I found that really weird. Why is his jeans mud smeared? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's like, he's in the car. Um, The theory is that he was attacked in the car. So why are your jeans covered in mud? Yeah. That's kind of... I, I never found an explanation for that. I just... They, they had that in the paper, and then there was no explanation after that, no thoughts on it afterwards. Like, I'll tell you my theory at the end, but... Um, there was a woman's jacket, part of a necklace that had been torn off, and a purse with $11 uh, in the car, along with Larry's wallet, which contained all of his papers, and by papers I mean his identification, and all of that and three dollars and that was also found in the car so they didn't care about the money they didn't care about the ids yeah so it looked like nothing was taken um there was a pool of blood outside of the car and the keys were found in the brush appearing to have been thrown and then there was a small pin knife near the car but it was later ruled out as a murder weapon that's a really strange scene to walk into right what happened there yeah, that's that's what they gotta figure out. It's it's all very bizarre. I mean, the blood's huh. outside the car too. They never said if it was his blood or Beverly's blood or blood they never. But back then they really didn't do DNA. Yeah. So that I'm curious to know whose blood was outside the car. Mm-hmm. The murder weapon was later determined to be a knife that had a four inch blade, and it was not found on or around the scene. There was also no sign of Beverly. Other than her belongings that had been left in the car. Oh, so she's gone. She's gone. There's, It's only him in the car. Okay. Um, they started a search for her. Um, it it kind of bothered me, and every single article I read, she was described as his pretty blonde, blue-eyed, brown-haired girlfriend, or the pretty blue-eyed girl that, that went with him, or, you know, she he was never described as, you know, the handsome, devilish, you know... Mm-hmm. Guys, she was always, always described as pretty, blue-eyed, brown-haired. You know, like, it mattered more what she looked like than who she was. Yeah. Like, he had more information on his family, and there was more information about his past, and she was just kind of... Like a trophy wife. <laughs> yeah, it really bugged me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stuff like that always does, but I know it was the time, and... <laughs> I'll move on. <laughs> Uh, police and volunteers searched the nearby area and nearby Forest Park, but to no avail. And do you remember Forest Park? Yeah. Yeah. So this place has a, a history of unfortunate deaths. <laughs> I think I mentioned this case in that case, too. It was determined she was likely kidnapped from the scene and her parents offered a $1,000 reward for her return or any information leading to her return. 
They know that she was with him, right? Yes, they know that she was for sure with him. Okay. They left the house together. I think she... I'm assuming she was staying with the Paytons. Mm Mm-hmm. So they would have returned home and she would have had her separate room. And um, Many people actually reported seeing the car on Saturday night um, and Sunday. Uh, a motorist claimed to have seen the car at the Overlook at 2 p.m. on Sunday, but didn't stop to investigate it. So they had at least been there all day Sunday, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Another person claimed to see the car around 1.30 p.m. on Saturday. And a gas station attendant actually claimed to have seen the car around 1 a.m. on Sunday with Gabriel painted on the side. But they didn't say anything about that being painted on the side when they found it. Later so on, yeah. Maybe I'm it's thinking that was car. like a hoax guy or he thought he saw it. It was a different car. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. It was just really random that they threw that that, that was in there. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't sound very believable to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, along with the car settings, there were a lot of false leads. It seemed like everybody wanted to get involved in this case. Uh, There was a lipstick message that was found in a Eugene restaurant bathroom. And it read, I am being held in a brown 1951 Ford. Help. That's suspicious. Like, even if it's not her. (laughs) That's my thinking. I'm like, even if it's not her, someone needs to go find this car. Yeah. Uh, They thought it might be plausible because they had found two tubes of lipstick in the car Mm -hmm. that belonged to Deverly that had bumped dumped up or fell out of her purse. But they decided that it wasn't plausible because why would a woman have three tubes of lipstick? But I'm sitting here thinking, does it really matter how... I mean, I carry several. Different shades of lipstick, you know what I mean? Yeah. She could have grabbed it. She could have done it. I don't think that's a very plausible thing to determine it wasn't her. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it wasn't her, like you said, somebody needs to investigate that. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody writes that on on a mirror. You need to go check it out. Um, a bloodstained knife was actually found in a Hillsborough armory, but I, and I don't know why they thought it was related to this crime. I guess any bloodstained knife they found, they checked, mm-hmm. but it was not related. Uh, other reports that Beverly had been seen around Eugene, but it was determined that it was another girl who just kind of looked like Beverly. There was an AWOL sailor that was considered as a suspect for a while. His car was actually abandoned near the crime scene. There were two cars abandoned, actually, and one of them was a kid that stole a car and then just left it there, and that was nothing. But the sailor abandoned his car, and then nobody could find him. And it took, I think, like a week or two until they found him, and they found out that he had actually walked into the woods and blown himself up because he broke up with his girlfriend. So dramatic. Like with TNT and stuff? I, it didn't say. It just said there was a loud explosion and they found a crater and bits. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't very clear on it. Yeah. But um, it was clear that it was over his girlfriend. They had a very bad breakup and he wasn't in any way connected to the crime against Larry and Beverly. So he's not a suspect anymore? Nope. So... A few months passed, and on January 9th, 1961, a highway worker on the Sunset Highway, about 37 miles west of Portland, um, like on the way to the coast, discovered the body of a young woman down an embankment. She was identified as 19-year-old Beverly Ann Allen, 
She had burns and bruises on her neck, leading investigators to believe that she was strangled and likely it had been with a rope because of the burns. Yeah. Um, She had one shoe gone and her sweater and blouse were found uphill from her body. The autopsy revealed she had likely died six to ten hours after eating her last meal. And this put her time of death between 3 and 7 a.m. on November 27th. So pretty much right after she was taken. Um, And she was also likely sexually assaulted. So how long had her body been sitting there? Uh, They figured the whole time pretty much. So a couple months? Um, November to January. So about about six weeks is what it ended up being. Month and a half. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, After the discovery of Beverly, the false leads kind of (laughs) continued. A man named Dean Leon Gleaves had bragged that he had killed the two co-eds during another crime. And the police had cornered him for that crime and he shot himself. Police later determined that he couldn't have been the killer because his whereabouts at the time of the killing didn't match up. An Idaho man named uh, Wesley Kofelt also mentioned that he was the killer during the course of a crime. But he was also determined not to be linked in any way. I don't understand what, what it is with criminals being like, I did that one too, and I did that one too. And mm-hmm. Do you just not remember? They're bragging, and I'm like, I don't know that I'd brag about, I mean, maybe to the criminal world, I guess. Especially if you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's all very odd. And then there's that one guy that confessed to, like, hundreds of crimes that he didn't actually do, and it's like... Why would you do that? Because you're just messing things up for police and they won't look for who really did it. Mm-hmm. Edward Wayne Edwards. Do you know who that is? No. He At this time, he was actually a future serial killer. But he was a bank robber at this time. And he did a couple other little crimes. And he was wanted it for questioning in relation to this crime. He was actually in prison when police were going to go question him. And he busted out of prison. So police couldn't connect him. Um, couldn't talk to him for the longest time. They finally caught him in Montana and he claimed he had nothing to do with it and the police couldn't find anything to connect him with it. So, and it doesn't say why they thought he did it because his crimes didn't take place till like the 70s and they were very similar. He killed couples. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it wasn't similar enough and it hadn't happened yet. So I'm like, I don't know how you connected this guy other than he's a criminal in the area. And then there was another Idaho prisoner who confessed and had no connection. Just seems like they had nothing to do but sit around and confess to crimes. <laughs> In March of 1963, Beverly parents revoked the reward that they had posted. They they took it down and I, I don't know if they'd given up or it said something about them continuing to get tips and stuff like that. And I don't know if maybe that was just too hard for them or because people were calling them and asking questions. Too and- many of tips. Yeah, it sounded like people were bugging them. Mm-hmm. And really, don't bug people like that. I mean, go to the police. Don't bug the families because they're already struggling with all this. It's just ridiculous. So yeah, they took down their reward. Um, but the uh, police eventually posted another reward. So. For about the same amount. In June of 1965, police exhumed Beverly's body, and by March of 1967, about two years, they had new clues, but they were unwilling to discuss them. Was this, like, DNA 
they've been able to figure out? No, because it's still the 60s. DNA didn't come about till like, the 80s and 90s. Oh, okay. Like, the big DNA breaks. I mean, mm-hmm. they could tell typing and all that. But, yeah, it, it did, they never said what their clues were. They, they never really said what their clues were, honestly. Um, but in August, on August 19th, 1968, three men were arrested in connection to the murder. Carl Frederick Jorgensen, who was an ex-boxer and shoe salesman in Portland. Edward Ralph Jorgensen, Carl's older brother and a mechanic from Portland. And then Robert Gordon Brom, a pot and pan salesman from Salem. And Brom had actually recently been released from the Oregon State Penitentiary two weeks prior. And he was arrested and serving a five-year sentence for assault and robbery in the Portland area. So he had actually gone to prison in 1963. A pot and pan salesman from Salem? Yeah, so they used to go door-to-door and sell that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really random item to open a store for. (laughs) No, I I think it's a door-to-door salesman, you know, like the Kirby guys and whatnot. Yeah. I was just picturing a shop that's just (laughs) pots and pans. Just a tiny little place. (laughs) I don't sell plates. I don't sell glasses. I just no sell somewhere. pots of hair. <laughs> um, Edwards, Edwards' friends actually held benefits to raise money for his defense. Um, and he was like, he was the only one of the three that had a wife and children. And most of his friends believed him innocent. All three would eventually plead innocent on all charges. So Edward would be the first one to go to trial. And prosecution had a star witness, and her name, it was a woman named Veronica, spelled in the weirdest way ever. She went by Nikki Salic Essex. And she had actually suffered from hysterical amnesia for years. And after undergoing hypnosis and being administered sodium amidol... Or, sorry, sodium amidol, she started remembering things. I feel like that's kind of sketchy. <laughs> I've seen documentaries where they, like, about memory and where they can kind of implant stuff in your memory and make you think you've done things that you haven't done mm-hmm. or seen things you haven't seen. Well, it's like that, there was a, that scare back in the 80s where all these kids were accusing people of sexual abuse. Like, they they were going under hypnosis and remembering all these times of abuse. And then it was found out that that never actually happened. The doctors had planted that seed in their head, and it it was a horrible thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very sketched out by this. And just, just wait till you hear her story. So she testified that she was in the car with the three men, the three accused men, when they drag-raced Larry Payton, and he ran them into a curb. They were upset by the fact that he ran them off the road, so they chased him and Beverly up to the lookout point. If you've got a car following you, for I mean, maybe they could follow without him knowing, but you just drag race this person, and they're still and they're gonna follow you. You're gonna notice that, right? Yeah. That's that's the first thing Especially I find wrong with if this. If it's dark, you can see their headlights. Yeah, and I, I mean, they could maybe drive without headlights, but it sounds like where they're going, there's no lights. Yeah. If you don't have headlights, you don't know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, and they're going up to a lookout, so they got to be going up a cliff, you know, at some point. Windy roads. Yeah. So, they follow. she says they followed them up there. She said Robert and Carl went over to Larry's side of the car and started beating him up. 
Well, Edward went over to Beverly's side to quiet her because she was screaming. Now, here's the... Nikki got jealous of this because Edward was supposed to be with her. <laughs> so she got out of the car and just started walking down the road. Mm-hmm. I have problems with this. <laughs> They're beating someone up and holding a girl hostage because she's screaming and you're jealous. I'm like, I, I, I don't understand the, the train of thought. should be thought. holding me hostage, babe. <laughs> I know. Like, do you want them to be holding you down? Yeah. And what is... And it really... She said she was jealous. That was, that was part of the statement. I'm just like, what kind of messed up world are you living in? And that makes you jealous. Did all those guys confess to doing it together or individually? They did not confess. They said they were innocent. Oh, okay. Yeah. But those are the suspects? Yeah. So, she's saying they all did it together. The two beat up the guy and her boyfriend held down the girl. Um, Mm -hmm. So, she got jealous and left. Um, And soon after she started walking down, she heard a gunshot, a horn honk, and dogs barking. And then she started to run. And when she was asked why she started to run... You know what her response was? What? The murder. She was gone by the time it happened, so how do you know a murder happened? A gunshot went off, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, did it say that there was a gun? Um, oh, I forgot that. I'm so sorry. Yes, there was a, a bullet hole in the windshield. That was it. Just okay. one single bullet hole. Mm-hmm. Um, a thirty five caliber bullet hole. I don't know how I forgot that. <laughs> So, yeah, they, there was a bullet hole in the windshield. Did they find it in the body? No, there was no bullet holes in the body. And then there was a thirty-five caliber casing behind the car. So, shot at the windshield. The windshield has the hole. Yeah, it was shot from inside the car. Okay. And then the casing was found outside the car behind it 20 feet. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's weird. This is the weirdest crime scene. That's it what I'm is. telling you. It's what like happened? All over the place. Um, so after she, you know, heard the murder, as she said, um, she started to run. The men actually drove back down the road. They saw Nikki and picked her up. So these guys just killed somebody. You're going to get in the car with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's nowhere else to go. I, I guess I would have hid. Honestly, I would have been like hiding under the bushes and yeah. Um, obviously, there's dogs barking. There's someone living nearby. I would have been pounding on doors and been like, dude, these guys are beating someone up and holding out in this girl. And I kind of wish it was me, but then there were gunshots. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and at least something, I guess. I you just got to be attached to those guys. So, yeah, maybe. Um, So she got back in the car and Beverly was sitting in the back seat. Or she, according to her, she was sitting in the back seat and never said anything and just kind of looked at her. Uh, some reports she said she didn't even look scared. Other reports said Beverly looked scared. So I don't know. I don't even know if it's true. Uh, they dropped Nikki off at home and then left with Beverly. I have problems with this too. Mm-hmm. You're going to go take this girl. Yeah. You, you killed somebody. You're going to take this other girl out and go home now. <laughs> essentially rape and murder her. But I'm going to drop this other girl off first. There's three of us mm-hmm. and one girl. Wouldn't you keep both girls if that was your plan? Mm-hmm. I mean that. I mean maybe I'm just psychotic. I guess I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but they it just it doesn't track. Be, they didn't want her to get jealous. <laughs> maybe <laughs> she was too jealous to be a part of it. I it just it doesn't track with me, you know. Mm-hmm. 
maybe it was because they knew her and they didn't know the girl and that's why it was I yeah yeah if anyone has any ideas on that so the other witness so Nikki was the star witness in all of the trials because all these guys were tried separately so she came out and told this story three different times and she was their the state star witness because she was able to tell them exactly what happened um there was another witness. Uh, her name was Lorraine Jorgensen. No relation to the other Jorgensons. Never heard that name before, but apparently there's a lot of them in Portland. Uh, she stated that Edward had confided in her that he had used socks as a makeshift wipe to wipe his fingerprints from the scene, and the socks she described matched ones found at the scene. It didn't say if the socks were covered in mud or dirt or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just that there were socks that looked like that. So the stories must be true. But she was also perjured because she had written some letters to some guy's wife or something like this whole big thing where she said she didn't write the letters. And in the end, she did write the letters. And she actually had to have a ter- an attorney called because she perjured herself so bad. The judge is like, you need to go talk to this guy before you make any more comments. Mm-hmm. Because you were in danger <laughs> of being prosecuted. So she, again, doesn't sound very reliable to me. But that was one of the state's witnesses. Uh, the Noma County Identification Officer was called to confirm that the wiping marks were made by the sock that Lorraine described. But when he was cross-examined... He backtracked on everything he said and said, you know, I really can't tell if they were honestly made by a cloth (laughs) fabric or by windshield wiper paper, which was basically just like paper towels. Yeah. Because those were actually found at the scene, too. Why were those found at the scene? They were just on the ground. I don't... Yeah, it's... There's so much random stuff. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Uh, The witness who saw the car at 1130 actually changed his story... Because before, remember, there was a witness that saw them at 1130. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually said that he told them the wrong time because he didn't want his girlfriend to know what he was actually doing. <laughs> Sounds like a winner. Um, <laughs> he claimed he actually saw the car between 1030 and 1115. So it was earlier than before. Yeah. Kind of messed up their timeline. Uh, A woman living nearby the crime scene said her dog started barking around 11 p.m. and one actually got free and tried to run up towards where the crime scene was. She didn't know it was a crime scene at the time. Called him back and brought the dogs inside so they'd shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But that kind of fits along the lines of the guy that said he saw the car between 10.30 and 11.15. If you saw it at 10.30, they went up there at 11. And uh, The one thing Nikki doesn't give us is a time. A time for the timeline. Yeah. That's one thing I'm a little suspicious of. But she has amnesia. Allegedly. Hysterical amnesia. So allegedly <laughs> she might not remember it. It makes me think like it's it's a woman amnesia because you know they're always like women are hysterical. Uh-huh. So it's hysterical <laughs> amnesia. It's because she's a woman. <sighs> no. It was because she was in a traumatic event and that's what they called it back then. Or so they say. Uh, one witness thought that um, he was brought out and said that Larry could have actually raced the wrong person, which would go along with Nikki's story. And he also said that Larry was very quick to instigate fights, but usually had someone else fight them for him. So he wasn't really a fighter. And he also confirmed that the pen knife that was found at the scene actually belonged to Larry. So he could have brought it out to defend himself, mm-hmm. but didn't get a chance. 
the pathologist testified that Larry had died within 15 minutes of being assaulted and that in addition to his stab wounds, he had numerous blows to his body and his head. And he actually had a compression mark on the back of his head like he had been whacked over the back of the head with something really hard. Mm-hmm. And they never really said what that was. He described the knife, the murder weapon, as a four-inch oriental knife, because they had found it, and it matched the wounds. The knife had been found one of two ways, because they had two conflicting stories on how the knife had been found. This whole story is full of conflicting stories. I don't even know how the jury sorted this out. (laughs) I would be like, I don't know who to trust, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, One woman said that she found it after a party... So the party had taken place on the 26th, she found it on the 27th, and it was in the garbage. And she also said that sometime during the party, she had seen Robert Brom fighting with someone over that knife. Mm-hmm. How do you find a knife in the garbage? Do you go through your garbage after a party? Or was it just sitting on top, maybe? If it's sitting on top, I might see it when I'm taking out the bag, like taking out the next garbage, but... I mean, my kids throw away silverware all time and I never see it because it drops to the bottom of the bag every single time because uh-huh. I've never seen it but I know they do it because my silverware is all missing yeah it would make sense that he's uh, fighting with someone over the knife though because he's like oh I want to get rid of the murder weapon and I should take care of it you know like yeah if that's true then yeah but they're trying to cover the tracks mm-hmm. um, another woman stated that the first woman the woman from the first story, mm-hmm. actually told her she found it underneath her sofa cushions, wrapped up neatly. And that it had been identified as belonging to her neighbor's nephew, which was none of the three men. Yeah. So I don't know how they got a knife that belonged to someone else to kill somebody spur of the moment when they got angry. Then wrapped it neatly and put it under the Under couch. the sofa. Or it threw it in the garbage. Went back to the party and threw it in the garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, how light was this party? Because if yeah. they kill them at her at between three and seven, mm-hmm. this party had to be going on for a long time. How did they know that that's the knife? Did they have blood on there it? There was blood on the knife, and it matched the wounds. Okay. The director of the state crime lab testified that there had been sperm or sperm-like substances found on Beverly's body. Um, even though she had been out on the road for six weeks in December and I looked it up and sperm survives five days on a body mm-hmm. unless it's frozen so I went and looked up the weather for that time period and there were maybe two days it was under freezing that whole time so I don't know how much I mean you're out in the woods there's so much out there I mean I'm not saying that sperm accidentally got on her or whatever but um it just seems really odd that they're they're relying on that when it's kind of flaky evidence to me, I guess. Yeah. I the, the biggest thing that says she was probably sexually assaulted is the fact that her clothes, half of them weren't on her. Yeah. That That's all you really need right there. <laughs> but, yeah, I was a little thrown off by the sperm thing. I had to look it up, and it threw me off even more after that. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't have DNA back then, so it's not like it's much of a hope. Yeah, well, and if it's... I, I don't know if they can find DNA on it if it's dead and after the five days. Yeah. So I don't know how that works. I didn't look into that. <laughs> um, on February 28th, the jury came back and found Edward guilty on all counts. He received a life sentence plus 25 years. 
His brother Carl would be the next one to be tried on October 29, 1969. And many of the witnesses were the same with a few exceptions. So they had their star witness. They had all the other witnesses. They had a man named Raymond Ward testify that he put gas in Larry's car and saw a woman in the passenger seat wearing a coat similar to Beverly Allen. But this was two hours after the state claimed that they had died, so it kind of messed with the state's timeline. And in this trial, they were actually able to call, the defense was able to call a psychiatrist. His name was Paul Blotchley. Blotchley, I think is his name. And he testified that the method used to, air quotes, help Miss Ethics or Essex remember was greatly suspect (laughs) and that her memory could have been largely created through suggestion. Uh, He's quoted as saying, um, any of us with a decent imagination could put together a background story with her background information. End quote. So basically he's saying if you give her the right information, she can create a story out of it. Yeah. um, There was also a 17-year-old who was eight at the time of the murders who testified that she heard Miss Essex tell her mother that she had stabbed Larry Payton. Which was weird. Mm-hmm. But they, they kind of threw that in there, I guess, to kind of throw off her testimony. Yeah. Again, it was like a kid. Its memory could have been... Yeah, it could have been off. Yeah. Uh, Linda Bowers testified for Carl in his defense... And said that he had been with her at the party most of the evening and that they had gone to an apartment afterwards with a bunch of friends. So she was letting him know, he was with me most of the time and he didn't have, basically didn't have enough time to go do anything like that. Because it would have taken quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter Jorgensen, Carl's brother, testified that Carl had also testified that Carl had been at the party most of the evening and that he had never seen him leave. So on... Uh, Saturday, December 6, 1969, at 11.05 p.m. Seems really late for a verdict to me, but I guess I do on that late. Uh-huh. Carl was acquitted on all charges by a unanimous verdict. And he vowed to get his brother out and help with Brom's defense. So that means he's found not guilty, correct? Yes. Okay. He is not guilty. Tell me this. Her story, if you believe it, how do you find one guilty... And, and one not guilty. Complete, like, one life sentence, one unanimously not guilty. Not guilty. And I'm thinking it's because at, at Edward's trial, they did not allow the evidence in from the psycho- psychiatrist trying to disprove the methods used. Mm-hmm. And they both had different defense attorneys. I think Carl got the better defense attorney. Yeah. Um, that's a picture of Carl the day he got out. Very happy. <laughs> Um, Robert Brom was the next one to be tried on February 13th, 1970. And again, many of the same people testified, with a few exceptions to try and prove Robert's guilt. Um, An inmate testified that Robert had confided in him that he was present at the murder scene and was, was, quote, probably as guilty as any of the three, end quote. Another inmate testified that Robert had told him that he was involved with Carl Jorgensen. Neither of those are very convincing to me. I don't like inmate testimony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they always get something out of this, and I don't trust it. 
It's not a reliable source. No, you need to have something else to back this up. Yeah. Like, he told me he hid this here. Okay, yeah, let's go look at to back this out. And let's prove that you didn't know that was there. And he is the only one that could have known. You know, something yeah. like that. Not just, he told me he did it. <laughs> okay. So, I, I don't know if I should believe you or not. <laughs> It's like my younger daughter coming to me and telling me her big sister punched her. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she didn't punch you. <laughs> she may have pushed you, but she didn't punch you. Uh-huh. But on Monday, March 16th, 1970, Robert Brom was convicted on all counts and he received life plus 25 years. I don't understand. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, if you believe her story, you need to convict all three of them. And if you don't, you need to... Release all three of them. Yeah. Yeah, because the state's evidence was all on her story, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had nothing. They they had... um, It said they had rope and a gun, but there was no gun used, and I don't know how you prove that rope was the same rope used. Yeah. I mean... Sounds like they had almost nothing on this it, at all. They have no idea what happened. No, they really don't. And given the crime scene, I don't know how you could... Uh-huh. So, my theory on the crime scene, now that we've gone through the trial. Carl had the best lawyer. <laughs> well, yes, Carl did. <laughs> Get a good lawyer. <laughs> my, yeah, there's blood outside the crime scene. One, uh-huh. take samples of that, even if you don't know what to do with it now. Uh, and Larry had mud on his pants. I'm thinking something happened outside the car and he got in the car to run away. And that kind of messes with their theory of they came up on him, surprised him, stabbed him, beat him, and grabbed the girl. It to stash the body in the car, though, afterwards. Because they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't watch it lying there. Yeah, they could have. It could have all happened outside, stashed the body inside. I mean, it could have honestly been one guy stabbed Larry outside shoved him into the car and then grabbed Beverly and left. If she was in the car, I mean, she might be stunned and scared to move. Mm-hmm. One person could have done that, honestly. And the fact that there's only one knife used, but you're saying three guys did it. Did they just hand the knife off in between stabbings? <laughs> I stabbed him twice. It's your turn now. You get three. Don't go over. <laughs> I mean, it, I guess he was beat up, too. But it's just, it's not tracking for me. I would be the worst person on a jury because I need it all to track in a row for me. And if there is, I'm, I'm if there's any reasonable doubt, they should not be in jail. Yeah. And it, to me, in this case, there is a lot of reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. And what worries me is they think they found who did it. And if they are wrong, there is someone out there that murdered two people that never got punished. Yeah. Edward appealed, along with the other, uh, along with Robert, appealed many times on many different bases. Um, some of those were that investigators had actually had two other suspects, but they didn't provide them any information on that. Mm-hmm. The allegations of misconduct by the defense attorney, by Edward's defense attorney, and the prosecution. Witnesses were changing their testimony. There was a lot of perjury going on. Improper instructions were given to the jury. Evidence was admitted that shouldn't have been, and again, perjury was committed and evidence was withheld. The sheriff's office in 1965 actually told the DA to charge two men and possibly a third, given some evidence they had connecting them to the crime, but this was never done and the evidence was never given. 
I don't know what evidence they had and or who they wanted to convict, but it was two different men, possibly a third man, yeah. that they were told to go arrest, but they never did. Mm-hmm. All of the appeals were denied. The governor even refused to review the murders when new evidence came up that could have proven the men innocent. Again, they did not give what that evidence was, and I couldn't find anything on it, but... I mean, if there's new evidence that could prove someone innocent, why aren't you looking at this? Yeah. Why aren't you saying, to at least to the police department, look at this, review this, let's make sure we got the right guy. Mm-hmm. Because you've got someone running around out there. <laughs> Otherwise, that's, that's the biggest scary thing to me when we convict the wrong people. I mean, granted, their lives are totally ended by that, but there's also someone running around that did something horribly awful that could totally do it again. Yeah. For all we know, these three guys could have just been like, oh, I went to a party that night, and I went home, and then Next thing I me. know, I'm arrested, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and these actually were, this. these two murders were actually at one point thought to be the work of the Zodiac Killer. They tried to convince to uh, connect it to that at one point, too, mm-hmm. but that just didn't, didn't pan out. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask that. Is this like a one-time kind of killing, or did they find a serial... It, it seemed like it was a one-off, unless it was the Zodiac Killer. I mean, but it didn't seem like his M.O. Because he, like, I guess he did do a couple stabbings. But, yeah, it, they they could never find anything that really connected it to the, the murders in San Francisco, other than it was a couple on Lover's Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to connect a lot of crimes to the Zodiac that were just <laughs> couples on Lover's Lane. Uh Edward was actually granted parole in December of 1973 in a work release program. I don't know how, because he was convicted in 1968 to serve life plus 25 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, great that he was paroled, but why are we paroling people so soon? Yeah. I wonder if they actually didn't think that they got the right guy and that was their penance. Mm -hmm. Um, Robert also was paroled in February of 1977, but he was told to stay out of Oregon and go to Hawaii for his work release program. <laughs> Is that really a punishment? I know. I'm like, oh, I'll go to Hawaii. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So he was actually told that if he came back to Oregon without permission of his parole officer, he would be arrested on site. So they really wanted him out of Oregon for some yeah. reason. Did they have a parole officer over in Hawaii to take care of him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For his work release and all that. Yeah. They set him up over there. Uh, the final appeal, the, the last one that I could find, happened in October of 1977, and that was denied as well. But, and that was the last I heard of any of the three men. I mean, the the longest any of them served was seven years, which I guess is good if they didn't do it, but they shouldn't have served any time if they didn't do it. I still think there's a killer out there, honestly. I'm not fully convinced these three guys did it. Especially when you have two being convicted and one being set free. Yeah. It, it just blows I don't think they're mind. convinced either. Yeah, it sounds like the, the, they were all different juries, but it sounds like people were just kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, we gotta put this on somebody. So let's and may, maybe I'd be a little more convinced if Carl's jury hadn't been unanimous mm-hmm. about him being not guilty. I mean, if there had been like, you know, a, a five to five to two or you know whatever the numbers were it was kind of barely squeaked by but it was unanimous that he was innocent Mm -hmm. so yeah I feel like they they got the short end of the stick with this one 
And unfortunately, I don't honestly think that the killers of Larry and Beverly were actually ever caught. So their families did not get to have closure. I mean, I guess they thought they did. But, yeah, so that is the story of the Peyton Allen murder. And this is why you don't go out in the middle of nowhere on a date. (laughs) Just putting that out there. I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> well, I do have a so brother. Camping. <laughs> uh, so, so I have to tell you, uh, you probably know this story. My brother is, he was over 18 at the time of the story. And my parents, my mother, I love her to death. She likes to track us all. <laughs> you told, you told the podcast that. <laughs> oh yes, I have told you guys that before. Yes, she likes to track us, which is fine. I'm full I'm not doing anything wrong. But I get a call one morning that says, Your brother's phone is dead. The last place he was seen was in the middle of a field. I've driven oh, by, I can't find him. I <laughs> I'm saw like that. Oh my gosh. I'm like he probably is at someone's house, his phone just died. Just just breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm texting him like, You need to call mom now. She's going to murder you. Call mom. <laughs> And yeah, she was very upset with him when he finally called her. But it, I mean, he went out in the middle of a field. I think it was with a girl. I, yeah. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I was in high school. I remember that. Yeah, and I'm like, my God, don't go into the middle of a field. <laughs> I don't know why he let his phone die either, because that was just like stupid. When uh-huh. knowing our mother freaks out anytime. Yeah. <laughs> guys and, in our family just don't care if their phone dies <laughs> yeah and he, he just didn't care you know he did that whole eye roll thing like yeah whatever mom I wasn't dead like, but you could have been he's like but I wasn't <laughs> he's like but I didn't know that <laughs> oh it was it was it was a fun fun day <laughs> and of course being the big sister I'm in the middle <laughs> But yes, my brother is still alive. He went into the middle of a field with a girl and lived to tell the tale. <laughs> but that's not always the case. So be careful going into fields and lover's lanes and all of that. Always be aware of your surroundings. <laughs> Especially if there's a car chasing you up there, as apparently they're probably they're trying to say there was. But <laughs> yeah, if you have any um, thoughts or ideas on the story, or you think you may have uh, new information or anything like that share with us we'd love to hear it because i i honestly think they need to find someone else yeah (laughs) comment on our instagram posts that we're gonna have up on this yes for sure give us your thoughts ideas um and speaking of instagram you guys can follow us on instagram at what's our instagram handle far and beyond oregon true crime all right and you can i think you can look up oregon true crime you might be able to find us that way yeah and you can give us a like, give us a comment, help us go up the charts. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, to be honest. Like, what I, charts? I don't know. I hear people say that in podcasts. <laughs> and, well, it's because the higher up on the charts, the higher you are in, like, when people search for things. Uh-huh. So if you're low on the charts, they won't, when they search for you, you'll be, like, on the 20th page. Yeah. If you're higher up, you get to be on, like, the higher up pages. So mm-hmm. it just kind of helps us with people finding us and all of that stuff so if any way you guys can help that would be awesome (laughs) so going into the next week be sure to keep it weird keep it strange and keep it safe